You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Today we are having a sermon to kind of remind ourselves the, the mission and vision of our church. Because as our church grows by God's grace, and as new folks are added to the church and ministries are started and new groups, and as we plant churches and as we do so many things uh, for the Lord and for his kingdom, and things change too. Service times and new buildings and, and all these things can come about in the life of a church. But it's good to remember why our church exists and why we do what we do. And our mission and vision as a church is to make disciples and make much of Jesus Christ. So we want to take a Sunday just to remember this and to see how we can do this together as our mission as the body of Christ. Because it's far too easy for a church to get off track and to get busy with other things and be doing other things and then forget that our main purpose is to be making disciples and making much of King Jesus. And so we see this in Acts 17. So in Acts 17, verses one through nine, we're gonna see how Paul and Silas and how his team went about making disciples and making much of Jesus here in the city of Thessalonica. So if you don't have a Bible, should be a pew Bible there on the ground next to you. You can turn to page 984. And as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And we'll begin in verse one. And here we see the mission to make disciples and make much of Jesus. Verse one, after they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous and they brought together some of the wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. When they didn't find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset. And after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. Help us in a holy manner to turn the world upside down. Help us in a divine Christ-centered, God-exalting way, upset the norms of our area. Help us now, Lord, to make disciples in your name and for your fame. And it's in your mighty name that we pray, King Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. I think one of the best memes on the internet right now, this is all very biblical, so just want to let you know that, 
is the one that's, you had one job with all of the whoopsies and all of the blunders and oversights people make. And these are two of my favorites. You had one job. Just put that cheese on the burger, man. And the second one, this has got to be one of the most irritating, is how not just one guy, but multiple people were okay with that brick just staying there. You think somebody at some point would go, man, we should really fix that. He had one, I mean, there's so many more. We could go over so many. And I thought about that as I was preparing this message. You had one job. Church, we have one job. The church of the risen Lord Jesus, we have one job. We have one mission. And it's a clear one. Our church's mission isn't to provide a Christian worship experience on Sunday mornings for the community, a kind of alternative to a mosque or to a Buddhist temple or to chakra beads or anything like that. We aren't meant to be a religious vending machine of Christianly goods and services. Our mission, why we do what we do, it's really the the motivation and the filter for our activity. It is clear. And it's not clear because, you know, we wrote it down in a catchy way or we made it part of our website or it's on the door, you know, printed above the door when you came in this morning. That is not why it is clear. It is clear because Jesus tells us at the end of every gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and in the, in the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus, after he's been crucified, paying for our sins, and after he's risen from the dead, and before he ascends back to sit at the Father's right hand, he gives us disciples a directive. He doesn't want us sitting around going, man, what should we do now? He says, here's what I want you to do. And he tells them, and he tells us, And we don't want to be like those disciples in those first couple minutes. If you remember in the book of Acts, Jesus ascends back into heaven and they're all still staring at the sky, which is understandable. And an angel goes, hey, he's gone back to the father. Go do what he said to do. Like, oh yeah. And they they go off and they begin their mission. Us, we can't sit around and go, man, what should we be doing? What should we be about? Jesus has told us. And so what I did was I gathered all those statements from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Great Commission, and other angles from other disciples, and Acts 1.8. If you weave them together, try to harmonize them into one paragraph, this is what we hear. This is what Jesus has told us to do. All authority has been given to me. This is, this is Christ. In heaven and on earth, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Go, therefore, into all creation and proclaim the gospel. Repentance for forgiveness of sins and make disciples of all nations, beginning in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will be my witnesses. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is our mission, church. When Jesus says at the very beginning, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, what he is saying is, I have all of the cosmic authority in this universe. I am the king of kings. I am the Galilean and galactic emperor over this universe. So whatever he says now, we do. We must do. Because the risen Lord has a mission for us.
Listen, the risen and reigning Lord has a mission for you. I want you to hear this clearly from, from Jesus. Redeemer Church, listen. Redeemer Church does not have a mission for you. Redeemer Church does not have a mission for you. The Redeemer has a mission for you. The Redeemer himself has a mission for you. And it is that you would make disciples, teaching people to follow Jesus, who Jesus really is, and then what it means to follow him. This is your mission and our mission as a body to make disciples and make much of Jesus Christ. And the trick is that sometimes when we talk about mission and the mission of a church, it's easy to disconnect from that and go, that's a good mission for like the church organization, for the nonprofit status that the government sees. That's a good mission statement for the organization. Do not think that way. Do not disconnect yourself from that mission. It's not just the pastor's mission. It's not just our deacon's mission. It's not just our staff member's missions. It is your mission. It is our mission personally together. This is the collective mission we've received from Christ. That's why everything we do from sermons to singing, giving, small groups, get trained classes, kids ministry, student ministry, counseling ministry, mercy ministries, Harvey Relief, church planning, supporting missionaries around the world, and you in your workplace and in your home, it is all towards this, to make disciples of Christ. Here's what you must hear, beloved. To be a disciple is to make disciples. Whether you've been a Christian for a week, whether you've been a Christian for 20 years, we are all enlisted into the effort of making disciples of the risen Christ. This is your ministry. So you don't have to wonder, what does Jesus really want me to do in my life? He wants you to make disciples. And it's evident at the end of every gospel And it's evident in the beginning of the book of Acts. That's why Paul does what he does. That's why Silas and Peter and James and John and Thomas and why so many, that's why why you and I know the gospel today because somebody took these words seriously. You heard the gospel because somebody took the Great Commission seriously. And people will hear the gospel because you took the Great Commission seriously. So how did Paul do it? Well, he went around the Roman Empire, making disciples, going city to city. And we can all agree, yeah, that's what we need to do. But how do we do it? How do we actually make disciples and make much of Jesus Christ? Well, let's learn Paul's model. And here's the very first thing we learn. That making disciples takes intentional time. Look at verse 1. After they pass through Amphipolis and Apollonia, so they're just now leaving Philippi. Each of these cities are about a day journey. He's going from Philippi, where they just got busted out of jail by an angel. And they go from Philippi to Amphipolis, now to Apollonia, three days journey, and they arrive at Thessalonica. This is where Paul's ready for some mission. And there was a Jewish synagogue. Now look at verse two. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue. He didn't wait for them to come to him. He went to them. And on three Sabbath days, reason with them from the scriptures. So I love that he includes as usual. So what we're learning is Paul used and leveraged intentional time. He went to the synagogue. And this is, if you don't know what that is, it's kind of a teaching center, a satellite campus of the temple there in Jerusalem. And I love that it says as usual. This is not a throwaway line. from This gives us great insight into Paul's method. This shows us Paul had a habit. Paul had a discipline, an intention about him. 
He goes, as usual, he goes to the synagogue. You know exactly what he's going to do because he knows there will be people there who want to talk about spiritual things. He knows there will be a collection of Jewish people who respect the Old Testament and I can go and talk to them and I can show them Christ. I can talk to them about the Messiah. So he's intentional, but also look at the time he spends. How many times? Three Sabbath days, three Saturdays. So he's there now for at least three weeks. A lot of times we struggle with evangelism and making disciples because we, we have one conversation, doesn't go well, and we're like, ah, oh, forget it. Paul, Saturday, and then all those days, you know he's in, encountering others, talking to them. Next Saturday, he goes again. Next Saturday, he goes again. Paul has an intentional usualness about him. Investing the time. Investing time and having persistence are essential to making disciples. Paul is looking to win people to Christ. He didn't give up after one week, kept showing up. And even we're going to see, he keeps going until a riot starts in the city. Beloved, if we aren't intentional and persistent about making disciples, we won't make them. We need both. If we aren't intentional and persistent about making disciples, we won't make them. And I love this. If, listen, if we don't have an as usual, like Paul, an as usual, we won't make them. We need an as usual about us. We all have various as usuals in our lives. We are creatures of habit, places you love to go, restaurants you love to go to. My dad has this as usual about him. He goes to the same Chick-fil-A at least once a day. And they, he has a special order that he does. And they even put on the receipt, the Richard, is my dad's name, and they just give it to him. It's like a longer fried chicken sandwich. I don't know how he talked them into doing this. And they even gave him a tour of the Chick-fil-A. He just goes there all the time. And he got invited to one of the workers there. Um, her mother passed away. She lives down in downtown Houston, and he heard about it. And he got invited to the funeral. My dad, that's not normal. That's amazing. And he was able to talk to them about Christianity and talk to them about the Lord. He had, there was an, this as usual about him that he was able to leverage for the gospel. So what are the as usuals in your life? I mean, my kids have them. I know as soon as Ivy gets a little bit of cash and spending money, a prize from her grandparents, I know exactly what she wants to do. I don't have to wonder. She wants to go get a beanie boo. These little stuffed animals with these freaky big eyes, she's going. We're going to Five Below. She's getting one. Oliver, doesn't matter. Buddy, I'll buy you anything in the world. What do you want? Lego. Are you sure? I'll go buy you donuts. I'll buy you snow cone. I'll go get you whatever. You want to get a boat? You want to get basketball? Lego. He just, that's all he wants. What could be your as usual? Your as usual strategy to reaching unbelievers in your life? your community, your office, and telling them about the news of Jesus because mission takes intention. Finally talking to that neighbor and not giving up after the first conversation, inviting that person over for dinner, beginning that conversation, asking that family member what they really believe about Jesus because the one who has all authority in heaven on earth has told us to go and to do this. So will we? What do we do? I know, okay, it takes intention, it takes time, but what do we do now when we are intentional and we spend that time? The second thing we see from Paul is that making disciples takes discussions about Jesus from the Bible. Actually talking about Jesus. Look at verse two. So as usual, Paul went into the synagogue on three Sabbath days. There's the intention and time. And here's what he does. 
reasoned with them from the scriptures. From the scriptures. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. So listen, he's reasoning with them from the Bible. And here's one thing we've really got to untangle in our areas. In the Bible Belt, we have so much baggage and so many things misunderstood. And I want you to really hear this because this is an important distinction. Beloved, we aren't trying to win people to Christianity. I want you to hear that. We are not trying to win people to Christianity. We aren't trying to win people to our church. We're trying to win people to Jesus himself. See, a lot of people think Christianity is about a certain way to live. That, you know, okay, Islam has their way to live and Buddhists have their way to live and, and Christians, Christianity, they have their way to live and that Jesus is the mascot of Christianity. Jesus is not the mascot of Christianity. He is not the poster boy for the Christian way to live. We are inviting people to Jesus himself because he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. And that no one can get to the Father but by him. So we have to tear down that idea for people that Jesus is just the mascot of Christianity. And we do that by making much of Jesus in front of them. By proclaiming the real Christ in front of them. That Jesus really is our great God and Savior. That Jesus really did. He is God who took on a human body who existed in eternity, but was born here on earth. And that he took on that body and had that body nailed to a cross, had his flesh ripped and blood poured out so that he could save us from our sins. And that he didn't stay dead either. It wasn't some ghostly resurrection. It was his body warming back up, his eyelids flinging open, his brainstem turning back on and Jesus walking out of that tomb and now is alive in the heavens, inviting all of us to believe in him for everlasting life, whoever would come. This is the real nuclear Christianity that we must make known to the people in our community. Whatever misconceptions people have about Jesus, Sometimes we don't know them because we don't talk to them. To actually ask them, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think the Bible says about Jesus? One of the favorite questions I ask people is, what do you think Jesus is doing right now? People can pick up on your grammar, despite what Facebook and Twitter may prove. What do you think Jesus is doing right now? Is doing. People will go, huh, is. Present tense is, yes, and I've had people tell, oh, I think he's in the ground, dead. Well, then now you have a great opportunity to talk about Christ. And notice look what Paul's doing. He reasoned with them. He's not attacking them. He's having a conversation with them. He's not confronting them. He's not attacking them. He's talking to them about the Messiah because they have these ideas about the Messiah and they thought he wouldn't die. But Paul says, no, 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 let me tell you. Let me show you from the Bible that it actually says the Messiah would die. Isaiah 53, that he would actually be pierced for our sins. That he would actually be a suffering servant. That he would actually be crushed for our iniquity. He would actually bear our griefs. That he would actually be with a rich man in his death. He talked in dialogue. A lot of times why we're uncomfortable with evangelism is because we hear so much about apologetics and so much about having the right arguments that we feel like we've got to attack people and show them how wrong they are. That's not what we're called to do. And sometimes we burn the bridge after that first conversation because we've attacked. Paul went about it in such a way that he could come back three weeks. 
So we're not out to attack people. We're to have a conversation with them. Talk to them about Christ. Show them what the Bible actually says about Jesus. Because Paul knows that everyone's greatest need is an encounter with the risen Christ from the Bible. Everyone's greatest need in this room right now is an encounter with the risen Christ from the scriptures. And every believer right now in this room, our greatest need is an encounter with the risen Christ from the Bible. So that's why we have conversations about Jesus from the Bible. Moralism would be just talking about the Bible for Bible's sake. That's not Christianity. It's talking about Christ showing Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. As Jesus said in the Great Commission, teaching everyone to observe what I have commanded you. That's why when we counsel each other, encourage each other, we connect the Bible with Christ to our lives, our marriages. Husband, you should love your wife as Christ loved the church. Connecting the Bible, the Christ to our lives. Your job. Shouldn't it be, hey, just work hard, do a good job, you know? No, what does the Bible say? You don't work just as unto men, you work as unto the Lord. It's connecting Jesus and our job and the Bible together. Our relationships with one another. Hey, you should be kind, not because we're trying to live a leave it to beaver lifestyle, but because we should forgive one another as God and Christ forgave us. So you see, it's all, making disciples is about talking about Jesus from the Bible, showing them how they can have new life in Christ and then what it means to live this new life in Christ. This happens on Sundays. This happens in small groups and get trained classes. And this, this should also happen organically. A lot of churches have scheduled times for community and we try to encourage community through those times. And those are good. We should also have organic kind of covert under the radar community happening to where you're just gathering and having a random cookout and watching a basketball game, watching a football game today. But we shouldn't only, when we gather, talk about the NBA and talk about the NFL and, and talk about our kids. There should also be times when we talk about what it means to follow Christ in everyday life. What it means to make much of Jesus in our everyday lives. It's easy to dialogue about current events and what's important to you and really what interests you. Whether that's sports, whether that's music, it's easy to talk about what interests you. So is Jesus the most interesting person and subject to you? Is the gospel, is forgiveness of sins, is his resurrection and your resurrection to come, is that most interesting to you? We can, it's really easy to talk about what's relevant. Politics, North Korea, the damage and the hurricanes that's happening. These things are so relevant until we talk about them. So is Jesus relevant to you too? I mean, Paul reasoned and explained and proved and connected the dots that Jesus is the Messiah they're looking for. Look at what he says. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. So Paul clearly has a pretty good handle on the Old Testament. So he's able to connect these dots for people. Listen, this is why these get trained classes exist so that you would be able, you know, we don't have these classes just so we can learn a bunch of cool stuff. Our women's classes that are meeting during the week, there's a class going on right now. There was one at the 10 o'clock. There's a class tomorrow night. These aren't just so we can learn cool things. This is so we can reason and explain and prove from the scriptures that Jesus really is Lord in all areas of life. This is why we want you to take get trained classes so you can get trained for this. 
I know some of us are like, man, I just don't know the Bible well enough. I, I need to learn more. So we kind of sit on the sidelines. Well, I don't know what to do. No, get trained. Get involved. For, we have these classes for your own maturity so you can grow in Christ. We have them for your ministry so you can minister to one another with the scriptures and for mission so that you can tell people about your risen Christ. So you can proclaim him. This is really the next step. Yes, making disciples takes intentional time. It takes discussions about Jesus from the Bible, but it also finally takes proclaiming Jesus from the Bible. Look at verse three. So he's explaining and proving those discussions that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. And look what Paul says. This is Luke's summary statement of Paul's kind of talking and conversation. This Jesus, it's clear he, what he's talking about. I am, notice this word, proclaiming to you. So it's gone from reasoning, explaining, proving, proclaiming. What I'm proclaiming to you, this Jesus, he is the Messiah. This is where we must get from conversations to dialogues and to the proclamation. Proclamation doesn't just mean you're preaching. That, okay, hey, you know, I got to proclaim to you now, so I'm going to stand up. You stay seated. I'm going to proclaim to you Christ. That's not what this means. This word proclaim means announcement. You can, you can proclaim over coffee. You can proclaim sitting on the couch. When you make the royal announcement that Christ is the crucified and risen King, the proclamation of the gospel going out, the good news that you can be saved from your sins, that you can be forgiven, that you can have new life and calling for a decision. Choose this day whom you will serve. Old Testament style, New Testament style. Repent and believe for the forgiveness of sins. What keeps you from believing today? you know you're actually proclaiming when you're inviting people into the announcement. Ask somebody, what keeps you from believing in the risen Christ? I remember sitting with a Muslim cab driver and talking, telling him, Abdul, the Lord brought me to this cab for this time, for this moment, so you could hear the announcement of forgiveness of sins. What keeps you from believing in Jesus right now? This is our mission. The declarative statement that Jesus really is the Lord. Believe and be saved. That's why Paul says in Colossians 1, him we proclaim. We proclaim him. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully within me. Proclaiming that Jesus is not some trinket. Jesus isn't just the mascot of Christianity. He's not a lucky rabbit's foot. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a prophet. I am proclaiming to you and telling you that he is the almighty son of God. That was nailed to a Roman torture device to pay for our sins. But up from the grave, he arose. And he reigns in heaven, inviting you to have faith in him, to have trust in him, and you will be saved. Because when we proclaim, friends, we make much of him. We exalt him as we show the true power and majesty of the risen Christ. Paul and Silas did this, and they're making disciples. This is how we will make disciples, because look what happens in verse four. God's grace moves, verse four. After Paul says all this, three weeks, some of them were persuaded and joined. They were converted they joined their group, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks. These were, 
These were Gentiles who abandoned the polytheism of Rome and the multiple God nature of the Roman Empire. And they were interested in one God. They were fearing the one God of the Old Testament and as well as a number of the leading women. Disciples were made. And something incredible is happening in this verse. So you have Jews and Gentiles united. You have women who were despised in the first century, now included. See, the gospel, the gospel does something amazing in our society and in our community because Jesus bridges these divides. He's torn down the wall of hostility and he's united us together. And this makes much of Jesus when races are coming together and loving one another, when men and women come together and respect and honor and love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. This, is, this abandons the stereotypical Roman way of life. And for us to make much of Jesus, we will often have to abandon the typical American way of life. The gospel really is a nightmare to the American dream. Jesus promised the gates of hell will not overcome the church. The church, the gathering of the crucified and risen Christ, this is where we are. This is our first allegiance to him. And when we make disciples, making disciples makes much of Jesus Christ. Look at verse five. Look at what happens now after Jesus has been proclaimed and people are joining Christ, verse five, but the Jews became jealous and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They just went and got a motorcycle gang. They hired some thugs and now they're going to attack the Christians and attacking Jason's house. They searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason. So imagine this, being dragged and some of the other brothers before the city officials. Imagine being dragged to the mayor's office. Imagine being dragged before the sheriff's office because they are making so much of Jesus. So many crazy things are happening now. And really two charges are leveled against the, these people. What are they? The giver six. These men who have turned the world upside down, have come here too. And Jason has welcomed them. This is charge number one. They are disturbing our way of life. They're flipping our world upside down. We have a way of doing things and they are messing it all up. And this is gloriously true. Jesus does, in a beautiful way, mess things up. He flips them upside down, which is really gonna be right side up and puts everything in the right order. They really mean this as a slam, but it's so true. You see this already being disturbed throughout the book of Acts. Pagan temples, attendance is getting low. The idols being sold in the marketplace, the shops are closing down because their demand's getting low. Races are loving each other. Men and women are respecting each other. The gospel quietly disrupts power structures in society and in our lives. The risen Christ topples things over in our lives that need toppling. And the disciples who make much of Jesus, you flip the world upside down. You tilt the machine when we live as freaks. We're meant to be freaks in our world. Strangers, the Bible says. Just think about the way Jesus has called us to act. 
Be merciful when our world is brutal and harsh. Be meek when our world is constantly trying to one-up each other. Be last rather than first. Forgive, don't avenge. Be kind to your enemies, pray for them. And then, then we go out and say that Jesus is the only way to be saved not to be nasty or intolerant, but because a Nazarene was nailed to a cross and he rose again and he said, I am the only way. So we follow him as the king of kings, watching him flip the world upside down through our obedience and passion for him, watching him at work. That's the first charge. But look at the second one. They're turning the world upside down. have come here. Now look at verse seven. And Jason's welcomed them. Now here's the second charge. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees. Now, here's the first thing. They're acting. This isn't just, oh, their doctrinal statement's really offensive to me. The way they believe about things is, is offensive to me. No, they're acting. They're living in such a way. It's contrary to Caesar's decrees saying that there is another king, Jesus. I love this. Because the church is living in such a way and acting in such a way that people are hearing crystal clear. They're saying Jesus is a king. They're acting like Jesus is better than Caesar. Praise God. They're acting like Jesus is more important than the Republican Party. Praise God. They're acting like Jesus is more important than, than the Democratic Party. Praise God. They're acting like Jesus is more important than America. Praise God, because we have another king and his name is Jesus. You know, if, if we actually believed this more and acted like this more, and if people in our community actually knew that we believe this, I think there would probably be more people. We've had it happen once, but for other reasons, I think we'd have people out here picketing. When these people actually believe Jesus is greater than our president. And they live like he's greater than our president. They, they act like Jesus is greater than the American way of life. And that should be so clear from the way that we live. These early Christians, they exalted Jesus so much. They had so much affection for Christ. They had so much allegiance and admiration and love and reverence for him that they honored him as the King of Kings, not as a mascot, but as the Messiah. And it freaked people out. They're making so much of Jesus it, makes Jesus, it makes Caesar look small. Because Jesus is greater than Caesar. Whenever we see those bumper stickers, you know, if you have one, I just want to encourage you to peel it off. Jesus for president. Jesus is not interested in being president. He's not interested in being Caesar. Because he already rules over the universe. And he already holds the universe together with the word of his power. Don't just say Jesus for presence. Say Jesus is the king. And he's the king over the universe. I mean, the early church, they wouldn't do the, the worship to Caesar. They wouldn't do the imperial cult worship. They wouldn't burn the incense. They wouldn't pour out the drink. They rejected all of that. They were at times un-Roman because of their allegiance to Christ. And more and more, we will become un-American because of our allegiance to Jesus. Because we have another king. Do you speak in such a way of Jesus? Do you have your allegiance for Christ, your reverence for him, your love for him? Is it so clear 
that people would say, he's clearly number one to them. That they have another king and his name is Jesus. He should be first in our lives, first in our church. This is why, this is why North Korea is terrified of, of Jesus. You know why countries like North Korea and Iran, why they make Christianity illegal? For these two reasons you see in verses five and six and seven. Because it flips everything upside down. It flips the world upside down. It's a threat to their power structures. And because people treat Jesus as supreme over Kim Jong-un, over Ahmadinejad, over Castro, because Jesus is seen as supreme. And then they no longer fear their dictator. They no longer fear the threats of the world. For what can you do to a people that have been crucified already? What can you do to people who have been raised with Christ to newness of life? Nothing. Chance the Rapper said it best. Don't believe in kings. Believe in a kingdom. Beloved, this is our mission. To make disciples and to make much of Jesus. Always. It takes intentional time. It takes discussions about Jesus from the Bible. And it takes proclamations of our crucified and risen Christ. In really two simple buckets. It takes gospel invitations. Believe and be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Come to him and he invites you. Come to me, all who are tired and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then discipleship is the gospel implications. Here's how we live. Here's what we obey that Jesus has taught us from the Great Commission. Teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Here's how we respond. Here's, how, here's the things we turn from. Here's the things we turn towards. Here's how we love our neighbor. Here's how we live the golden rule. Here's how we forgive. Here's how we pray. Gospel invitations, gospel implications. This is discipleship. So let's make the real gospel recognizable in Tomball and beyond by making disciples and making much of Jesus. This is the mission of our church. So let's together not let our church turn into a meme. We have one job to do, and it's to make disciples. One overarching job, one overarching commission, one all-consuming mission to make disciples and to make much of Jesus Christ. And let's do this together, for we have one king, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us. Help us to remember what you've called us to do. You haven't called us to put on great services. You haven't called us to, to be some unique church in the world. You've called us to be faithful to you. Be faithful to this old mission of making disciples and making much of the name of Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, to the Alpha and the Omega, so, Lord, would you help us to feel all in and then to live all in on this mission? To have intentional, persistent time with others. To talk about you, Jesus, from the Bible, showing who you are and how we should respond to you. Help us to proclaim you. And may our allegiance to you 
be evident to all. Help us now, Lord, please. Help us to make disciples till you call us home or till you return. And it's in your mighty name that we pray, King Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.